Are you a born entrepreneur where you just cannot help walking into a business and wanting to improve it? That is a sign. And we're going to talk about that more right here, right now on Allie and You. Welcome to Allie and You, the business success and lifestyle show. My name is Allison. My friends call me Allie. I'm a business growth mentor, and I love bringing on powerhouse business owners that have walked the walk so they can be here and give you the inspiration and the tools that you need to break through and get to the next level. And today, man, talk about powerhouse. This woman has she has got it all. So Esty Rand is the CEO and founder of Strand Consulting, and that is a six-figure business she created in under two years with five kids. Okay, that could be a whole show in itself uh, with zero-dollar ad spend. Holy cow. She is an expert at turning ideas, especially the crazy ones, into real money. So that means the ideas that you all have, that sometimes you poo-poo them, there could be tons of money sitting there that you're missing out on. So after six years of the CIO of a multinational eight-figure NPO, she's gone to help hundreds of micro-businesses. And I cannot wait for you to meet Esty. She helps them not just make more profits, but to actually enjoy life while they do it. So this is a whole concept for business owners that are out there struggling, working 24-7 that have no life. She offers transformational one-on-one -on -one coaching, online courses, and on-air on advice through her Business Breakthrough podcast that I was on recently and loved it. So Esty, welcome to Allie and You. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad. And it was, it was wonderful uh, being able to be interviewed by you. And now we get to flip the tables and I get to dive into everything you've got going on. Yep. It was so great having you as well. So um, you are a born entrepreneur, it sounds like. You know, it seems you, so. Yeah. So, I mean, 10 years old, you, you were already selling things, bracelets, um, and then you got a full scholarship to college from your, uh, some business idea. I don't know what it was, but man, it sounds like, you know, you're pretty creative with your endeavors. So tell us about that part of your personality. Sure. So I, I like money. I was brought up in a home where money was really, really important. Um, and therefore it wasn't so much for sharing. So my parents had a bunch of money. I didn't have as much. And I've been running businesses since I was a kid, all through high school and in my adult life, but always side businesses, always just kind of have that pocket change, what I needed, always had the vision that I'd have a full-time job. And I kept my creativity as a side thing, as I think so many small business owners can relate to, not believing in it enough that it could be my full-time work. You know, so like, this is fun. This is where I put my creativity, but it's not a hobby. It's a business. And I have had side businesses and everything from selling my own handiwork, like that bracelet business to medical billing, hairstyling, um, 
I did bookkeeping business for a while, fitness training, database building, a pretty wide range of industries yeah. that I had side businesses in because it's just about finding value. Where can I provide value to someone else that they'd like to exchange value with to me? And that exchange is typically cash. Right. So that's a really powerful statement, providing value. And, and then you said a minute ago that you really like money. So can you tell me a little bit of the correlation there? So I've always run businesses for money. I've never run them for hobby. I think hobbies are great. Hobbies are things you do in your free time, whenever you feel like it, when it works out. Businesses are things that you do that provide value to others while you enjoy them also, that will also bring you money. <laughs> That's kind of that differentiation. And uh, for whatever reason, I, I just feel better when I'm working. That sound weird? I just do. Yeah. No, I think that you, um, you've got that entrepreneurial spirit and you like to be moving the needle forward. I think we definitely have that in common. It sounds like. So now you ended up working with a nonprofit for 10 years, which is a very different world, although I do feel like the nonprofits would benefit running more like a business, right? So sure. um, what, was, what was that like? How did you go from that nonprofit world to the profit world? What had to kind of shift within you? So I actually had a transformational year abroad um, between high school and university that completely changed my mindset. Like all through school, like I was just going to be really, really successful, i.e. wealthy. That was kind of my definition growing up. And then I went to a religious seminary in Jerusalem. My parents sent me away to become re-inspired. They didn't love the crowd I was hanging out with. They didn't love my goals. And... And I was re-inspired to serve in a different way, still with that same mindset of creating value and providing value, but very much inspired to help people live better lives. And I started doing inspirational speaking and traveling, and I started doing life skills courses in local high schools, and I went to work in nonprofit, everything from summer camps to international leadership organizations. I Still, I've always wanted to make a difference. I always wanted to do something big. I've always had these big ideas, these big dreams. They were not always encouraged, but I still kept them. And so when I came out on the other side, the, I ended up in this multinational nonprofit, massive international leadership organization, incredible, incredible place. And uh, sometime around the six ish year mark, they brought in a middle manager. As anyone who's dealt with nonprofits know, they're not actually run by the people who run them. They are run by the donors and the boards. And so even though it was running quite well, the donors and the boards wanted a new guy in. And the new guy who came in wanted me out. <laughs> we didn't really hit it off. And possibly because I didn't like anything about what he was doing. And that can be threatening to new hires. Yes. And uh, the environment became really toxic. And uh, I left when it totally took over my life. And this is, you know, like you mentioned, I believe that business and life have to be a blend. Work and life has to be a blend. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's no amount of money in the world that's worth it. And that is very different than the way I grew up. And it is very different than where I came from. But that is kind of that nonprofit mindset of 
We're here to serve. We're here to make a difference. We're here to do better. But even in the nonprofit world, people lose their whole life in that service. So it doesn't matter what you're doing or where you are. You've got to carve out that space for yourself, for your family, for your world. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting too, because um, I, uh, I'm a big donor in, in nonprofit work too. I, I really, really believe in it. And, uh, but I do believe there is kind of a poverty mindset that happens in nonprofit and that does hold them back. And I know that when people do commit, you know, if they're capable of committing some way financially and investing in themselves, that's where the growth really happens. So I can imagine that was a big shift to make from the nonprofit world um, into, the, into the profit world. Um, and what were some of the struggles you faced moving at, move it, transitioning from that into your own business? So when I left, it was my whole income. Um, I was the primary breadwinner of my growing family. I had three small children at the time. Like you said, now there's five. So we're going back to about 2011. And I left because it, like I said, it took over my life and I was committed to finding a work-life balance where I could be a high-powered professional, you know, alpha females. <laughs> I really wanted to do big things. I wanted to be out there and, and still have time to put my kids to bed every night. You know, and still be there to see them grow up, not turn around, you know, at 50 and be like, oh, oh, you hate me? Oh, I'm $10,000 in therapy later and you still hate me? Yeah. That's not the life I ever wanted. No accomplishment is worth that. And so I went to look for other high-level jobs that would afford me the same flexibility that I had built up in the previous organization. And I met with a headhunter who was a former McKinsey consultant. And she found me some great opportunities and at some point during our conversation, she leaned in. She's like, Esty, what's the dream? Like, is this really what you want to do? You want this job, that job? What's the real dream? And she's a McKinsey consultant. And I was dreaming of doing small business consulting, what I'm doing now. So I'm like, oh, who better to confide the dream in than someone who really knows this stuff? And so I told her, I said, I'm watching all of these people try to launch businesses. They're trying to sell on Etsy and they're trying to become a massage therapist and they're trying to become a life coach and they're trying to sell cupcakes and they're trying to do hair. Like, they're just trying to do all these things I've been doing all these years and they're doing it wrong because they don't know. And this is before the tipping of smartphones and before you know constant social media. There was so much less knowledge out there. I just want to help them. And I tell her this and she looks at me I'll never forget this. And she said, Esty, no one will take you seriously. No one will hire you. You need at least another 20 years C-level corporate experience before anyone would ever pay you for your advice. Wow. Yeah, nice lady, isn't she? Yeah. She still sent me on job interviews for C-level positions at other places. So it wasn't a competency or an intelligence issue at all. It was yeah. just to shred my dream. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I think that those experience it's almost the universe's way of testing you you know because i i think a lot of people would hear something like that Esty, and say oh you're right i probably shouldn't do that you know who was i to think that but you didn't 
I mean, I'll be honest, I did. I went home in hysterics. I held it together until I left and I got home and was just crying because my dream had just been completely shredded to pieces. And I was very lucky to have a supportive network. I already had my business coach and my husband was incredibly supportive. I'd never be where I was without him. He came in found me crying hysterically in a corner. And you know, yeah. as husbands who find their wives randomly crying hysterically in corners, <laughs> was kind of like, what? Yeah. What is happening? What just happened to you? <laughs> What's going on? And I poured out the whole story. And he said, Esty, she's old business, you're new business. She's big business, you're small business. This is not the same. She doesn't understand the world and she doesn't know you. Come on, yeah. forget it. Forget it. You're going to do this. Forget it. And yeah. I will say I was very trepidatious. I'm so risk averse for an entrepreneur. And I think it's a fallacy that all entrepreneurs are big risk takers. It's not true. The most successful businesses that I've worked with, I mean, maybe it's just a like attracts like, but they're risk averse just like me. And I took on three things at the same time. I decided to start with my dream. I also went to work for a multinational trade association that dealt with mobile marketing. And I went to work for a business brokerage firm. And so I said, listen, I'm going to hedge my bets. Maybe she's right. Maybe she's wrong. I'm going to hope she's wrong, but I'm, I'm going to try. I'm not going to not try. And the consulting just started growing and growing and growing. And at first I dropped the brokerage. Did not like that. Then I dropped the trade association and I've been doing this full time for almost nine years. So what would you say then to other people? Because, you know, I think most business owners, as they set out into this path, all the naysayers just show up. And usually it triggers them. Maybe they're afraid. Maybe they're jealous. Who knows? There's, there's all kinds of, of reasons. Um, but what would you say to someone that came to you that had that similar experience? So I'll give you my favorite quote, or one of. It's by Helen Keller. She said, keep your face to the sunshine and you'll never see the shadows because there's always shadows and there's always sunshine. And where are you going to focus? You've got to surround yourself with sunshine. And look, sometimes spouses are not so supportive. I'm familiar with that as well. So you need someone else in your corner and maybe you can't afford a coach on your side. Okay. There are podcasts like this one. There are Facebook groups. There are social media keys. There are so many things out there today that you can plug in to make your sunshine for money, not for money. You've got to turn your attention there. Otherwise, the shadows will take you over. And there will always be people telling you, you know, just like you said, they're jealous. Um, they don't understand. Maybe they're even think that they're out for your best interest. Sometimes people do. And right. they're more afraid for you than you are for yourself. They can yeah. still be wrong. You've got to get your sunshine. You got to build that confidence wherever you're going to pull it from. Yeah. I had in, in one of my earlier businesses, I had a friend actually say, no one's going to come to you. This is going to fail. And then I ran into her um, with a group of people, maybe almost 20 years later. And I mean, it had that, that particular business had grown far beyond what I had ever imagined. So it was, I had to say, I didn't totally rub it in SD, but kinda. <laughs> yeah. It must have been so satisfying. It, did. it felt really good. <laughs> I waited 20 years for that. I, I couldn't resist. So um, now uh, when 
you know, you work with business owners, I'm, I'm sure business owners that are just starting, others that are more established as well. But when you get people moving from that sort of freelance to, to working on their own, like taking that leap to that true business owner, um, what do you feel is the biggest stumbling block for them and how do you help them get over that? So I find that the biggest stumbling block when freelancers start to scale is staffing and hiring. Mm-hmm. And you cannot grow beyond yourself when you are just yourself. Yes. Right? Even if it's just a VA, okay? Even if it's just bookkeeping. And freelancers are so used to doing absolutely everything themselves, opening up their bank account to somebody else, having someone else answer the phone, having someone else really do anything, okay? <laughs> Let's yeah. be honest. is such a struggle. And we work a lot with the technical delegation aspects, and also the emotional aspect of being boss. You know, they're so hesitant to ask for anything, but like, it's a favor. It's not a favor. You're paying her. It's a job. Remember that thing, J-O-B, you might've had one at some point. Okay. They get money. They do what you say. That's how it works. (laughs) You want to get signed. You want to make appropriate requests. You want to set up a framework. And so we work a lot with the, the technical and the emotional transition to, hey, there's something bigger than me. Hey, there's someone else who can help with this. Right. And there's someone else that loves to do this. And, but I do think that's a really good point is learning how to ask. I mean, I think there are a lot of business owners that have the help and are still sitting in their office doing it themselves. Oh my gosh, until 3 a.m. I've had businesses that are in the seven figures, okay, with staff in the teens. So this is kind of like that mid-size and extremely successful, usually service-based when they're, when they're scaled that small. And the owner is still working 70, 80 hours a week. Yeah. And the team is not even close because I don't know how to ask. And I don't know how to get someone to do it as good as I can. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. It takes practice, just takes practice asking. And even if it feels uncomfortable, you've got to do it. So it's kind of like cleaning your house before the house cleaner comes, you know, same kind of concept. So a lot I of people that. What'd you pay her for? Yeah, <laughs> I, I have no problem letting that one go. Now you grew your business with zero advertising. Let's back up and talk about that. Share that with me and our So I grew it with zero ad spend. So I want to be clear. There are ways to promote that do not include money. There are many, many, many ways to promote that do. So I actually have a guide, 137 promotional strategies to get the attention of any audience at every different budget. And so I did a lot of that stuff myself. And I started just with networking. You know, my first clients came just from me reaching out to people who I knew, say, hey, I'm doing this. Um, Who do you know? I called up other consultants who I looked like they were in the same space and said, hey, I see you're in this space. Look, I'm probably a lot cheaper than you. Anyone who comes your way that, you know, can't afford you or you don't want to deal with, feel free to send them my way. I'll give you a commission. So, you know, a lot of foot traffic like that. And Mm -hmm. I did a lot of speaking. I, for free. You know, the the typical local organizations and local groups. And I just said, hey, I've got this great class on, you know, insert here, marketing, work-life balance, business strategy, growth, staffing, all that kind of stuff. And they were like, okay, how much do you charge? I'm like, well, can I get all the emails from your people? Can I make an offer? you know, to, to help them? Am I allowed to do that? They're like, oh yeah. I'm like, they're like, you know, we can't really pay you though very much. I'm like, that's okay. And sometimes I got paid nothing. 
Okay. I'll be honest. Most of the time I got paid nothing. All right. Cause I was a no name. I was, no one knew me. Mm-hmm. And, but I had a 33% client conversion rate on those classes. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But pay. you would make more money that way than you would have had you gotten paid, let's say. Oh, for sure. Know, thousand, oh, for sure. Right. No brainer. Yeah. And again, yeah. that was a strategy to grow my business. I wasn't trying to grow a speaking business. I was trying to grow a consulting business. Yeah. You know, and I, my vision was always this full service consulting where we, we ended up today. And in the beginning I would just bring on other partners and there's a whole lot of fun failure stories there, but I would, you know, take commission there and then I'd get business from them as well. So I'd go to trade shows and network and I'd find a graphic designer and I'd find a printer and I would, you know, partner with them, but then they'd be partnering with me and they'd be like, Oh, SD, maybe you can help my other guy. You know, yeah. so there's so many ways to grow a business that does not involve that classical advertising. That's such a small piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm such a big fan of speaking too, because you're in front of all these decision makers at once and they, you're positioned as that expert. So, and it takes a lot of gumption. Here you were, you're just kind of embarking and, and you're out there booking all these talks. I think so many business owners are terrified of that. It's like the number one phobia speaking. How do you get your clients to move beyond that? So I'll be honest, I don't necessarily because it's not for everyone. I believe you have to always promote from your place of strength and speaking is not everyone's place of strength. So if it's not, I will talk about, okay, is your strength more one-on-one networking? Is it writing? right? You can do blogging. You can do social media, right? A lot of the, again, I'm very big on LinkedIn. So if you're a good writer, you can really make it big on that platform. Writing articles for publications, whether print or online media, that's another great skill. Do you have connections? Do you have one connection that might be able to make three introductions that will build the whole business that you can leverage? What strength do you have that you can leverage? I've always been a speaker. So I love love getting in front of a crowd. Like give me a big room of people and I get them to the point where they like breathe with me. And it's amazing. I, I just thrive on it. And other people would want to crawl under a rock. So. Well, you know what? I used to be that person that wanted to crawl in, under a rock. No, I, I don't. I was that. terrified to speak. Oh my God. Like panic attacks. I used to take like rescue remedy and pound it before I was speaking to the point <laughs> where I was almost drunk. And now I lead big events, you That's know, amazing. people, but so I gave my like- first talk in university. Actually, I took a public speaking class. That's the first time I knew I loved speaking. Now, never mind the fact that as a kid, I loved getting on stage. I used to put on performances for families. I used okay. to have in costumes. You're I was, born. You're I was born. a born performer, but I didn't know what public speaking was. I didn't know what it was until university. And I was terrified those first few times, but it was such a thrill. And I think people know, like once you get over the terror, some people, they get over the terror, but they're still miserable. So don't do it. Yeah. Love, do what you're really good at. You're always going to grow better from your place of strength. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's powerful because if people are doing what they love, they're more likely that they're actually going to do it, right? They're going to be way more inspired. And so, um, you know, talking about marketing now, because I know you've got some courses on marketing and, um, you know, marketing has changed so much and it's become a lot more competitive online. You know, what are some of the, what are some tips on marketing when you're talking to your clients about whether it's social media or online marketing, where do you like to, to help people start? So I like to do a total zoom out because I think where 
I want to say most small business owners get lost today is they don't know what they don't know. And they're being serviced by so many people who don't know what they don't know. So we've got the blind leading the blind on a constant basis. And so with my clients, I always start with a total zoom out. I give them a full framework for marketing strategy. What is marketing? Right? We already said marketing is not advertising. It's also not social media. It's also not Facebook ads. It's also not just lead gen. Right? Marketing is everything. I give this one sentence. It's long, but it's all important. Marketing is the creation and communication of value of your product or service to your target audience to convince them to buy. I know it's long. There's four key pieces. So we've got creation, communication, target, and convince. All important. Marketing mm -hmm. creates value. Pricing is a function of marketing. Place is a function of marketing. A lipstick and CVS, I expect to be less valuable than lipstick and Nordstrom's. So that place creates value. How much I'm going to pay for it creates value. How it compares in the marketplace. These are all marketing. So how I make all those decisions before I ever do promotion is part of my marketing of that creation of value. Then I need to communicate value. And again, communication could be advertising. It could be by where people find my service or product. It could be by so many different means, but I've got to communicate that value to them. Sometimes packaging is communication, how it looks. Ooh, that looks yeah. valuable. And then it's got to be to a specific audience. And I'm sure you've heard this countless times. This is for everybody. I'm just going to put it out there and the people who connect to it are going to buy it. No, no. Okay? you're not Coca-Cola. You're not Honda. And even they do targeted segmented yeah. advertising. Yes. I don't really get too many uh, market, marketing uh, commercials in front of me in my Coke because I'm not one of their buyers. And now we can really segment that these days. But I think everything you said is so powerful. It all goes together. Right? Just because and the last piece it. is so critical. You've got to, at the end, then convince them to buy. Yes. Many people forget that part. <laughs> So they, they have the whole beginning in place and then they drop the ball when they're trying to close the deals, mm -hmm. whether it's a product or a service, it doesn't matter whether you're the one closing the deal with them verbally, or you haven't built a proper funnel for a digital marketing campaign, or your salespeople haven't been trained properly, or the product doesn't have the right, um, so many product, the packaging is off in terms of the final sell. So all those four pieces, we zoom out and I have a whole framework to teach all of those moving parts. That, that's our start. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I mean, you, that asking for the sale, that could be on the website with no call to action uh, totally. or someone is frustrated because they're not getting any, any business. But when you break it down, you find out you, you kind of like ended the conversation <laughs> before you were through. Totally. Yeah. Or you booked it for too short to begin with. You know, it's creating that space. You've got to have a plan for that sales piece. I always yeah. say that sales is a function of marketing. My sales guy and I have a long-standing disagreement. He, sells, he says marketing works for sales. I say sales works for marketing. And I'm right because you work for me. Well, you cannot argue that. You cannot argue that. So, I mean, and I think that, um, you know, the premise of marketing has been the same, you know, from the get-go. Sure. And even though there have been a lot of changes in technology, those are just different mediums for, right? hundred percent. The same I, thing. I could not say it better. You know, I built my social presences up so quickly. I was very unfamiliar <laughs> with social media. Like I just didn't pay any attention to it until I couldn't ignore it anymore. And, you know, within a year, 
or so. I had a strong Instagram, I have very strong LinkedIn. Um, I do one platform at a time because we do ghosting for clients as well. So I need to understand each platform myself. And so I would just pick one at a time, build up my following, build up the, and once understand it and move on. And I built these platforms from very fast. And someone said to me, how did you do that? I said, cause I know marketing. This is not new. This is just like you said, this is just a new medium. All the principles are the same. Yeah, find the value, find the magazine. audience. It's mm-hmm. all the same. Find my audience, find what they see as valuable, give them that value, get following. Simple formula. And what about with LinkedIn though? Because I do feel like each of the platforms have their own sort of mode operandi. So with LinkedIn, I, I think that's mysterious for a lot of people. And it's definitely great for the B2B audience. What would you say is, you know, what is important to note about LinkedIn? So for LinkedIn, it's important to note that it's not only great for the B2B audience, it's great almost only for the B2B audience. You know, there is the odd retailer product that can sell, but it's only selling because you're creating B2B relationships. You know, I had a guy who was trying to sell burgers right? But he was selling burgers to all the B2B people who were in his network. So it's very much a B2B platform. It's very heavily service. So if you are a B2B service provider, you must be on LinkedIn. That's one. And it is also an incredible platform. Now, I feel like we're still in the heyday. The heyday started somewhere around summer 2017, where people were able to generate incredible followings and exposure, very little investment. They've been clamping down with the algorithms over over time, but LinkedIn's the kind of place where you don't only connect to those you know, it's very easy to connect to those you want to know. It's a giant yeah. networking event. Like I say, social media is like a party, but each platform is a different kind of party, right? Facebook's right. that high school or college reunion or just reunion in general. Instagram's that coffee house where everyone's like, and they're just like chatting. And LinkedIn's that networking event. So if you're good at networking events, right? Or if you're not, because you don't like being social in person, you'd rather be in pajamas. LinkedIn's a pajama networking event. It's amazing. And you want to be doing five things to maximize LinkedIn. One, you want to get dressed for the party. Okay. So that's your profile. This is true on every social media platform. First, get dressed. Do not go to parties. Okay. Pajama party going pajamas, but like you get the idea. And then you want to be doing posting at a certain level and every person it's different and we start different and we build different. You want to be commenting and liking on other people's posts. Cause if you're at this networking event and all you're doing is, Hey, here's a cool thing. Hey, here's a cool thing. And you're like not involved in any conversations. Everyone's going to think you're obnoxious, right? You want to be in DM. You want to be private messaging people, whether in response to connection requests or to reach out. Right. So this right. is kind of like, you know, hi, I'm so-and-so. Hi, I'm so-and-so. You do at a networking event. And then you want to be growing your following. That's number five. LinkedIn is the most incredible place to grow your following. Other platforms. And again, like we said, every platform is its own world. So Facebook, if you reach out to someone, it's a total stranger. There's a good chance they're going to ignore you because this yeah. is a reunion party. I don't know you, I'm not connecting to you. LinkedIn, they'll look at your profile. Are you the kind of person I want to know? If you've right. dressed up nicely, they will answer you. And wow. you can build a following very, very quickly. Oh, I love that, Esty. I love that advice. I, I have not heard it um, clarified that way of different kinds of parties. <laughs> so, and that really makes sense. Uh, with the profile there more so than Facebook. Right. Oh, for sure. Because again, Facebook, they're just looking to see if they know you. They're looking for yeah. mutual connections. Do I remember you? It's a reunion. Right. It could be I met you at a conference. It could be I met you on the street somewhere. It could be my friend mentioned your name, but there's a reunion right. element. LinkedIn is not. LinkedIn is 
are you a good business connection for me? Is there something for us to gain? And like, I hope, you know, if there's something for us to gain from each other, sometimes is there something I can gain from you? <laughs> that's, that's enough for them. But it's very much a networking. Is there right. any potential gain here? Then I'll connect with you. Right. Yeah. Well, I love this. This has been very, very um, informative and engaging. And you're such a delight, Esty. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, with us. So um, how can people reach out to you? Do you have anything that you want to share uh, for our listeners? Sure. So I would love to give you the gift of my 137 promotional strategies. It's a brainstorming guide. It's going to get those juices flowing and take you way beyond the ad. So you can grab that and you can find me best on sdrand.com. E-S-T-I-E-R-A-N-D.com. You'll find my podcast, the Business Breakthrough Podcast. You'll find a lot of cool resources. You will find links to the upcoming courses that we're doing and just a lot of good content and learning. Okay, great. That's all at sdrand.com. And so that people can reach out to you and then we'll put your free gift on our library, which is alisonmaslin.com forward slash library. Well, that sounds like an incredible guide. I can't wait to dive into it myself. And Esty, thank you so much for coming in here, sharing your brilliance, your inspiration, your drive. It's very contagious. So uh, thanks for spending the time with us. Thank you so much for having me. It's really been a pleasure chatting with you. All right, everybody. Until next time, you can subscribe by going subscribe to Allie.com. And you will find us on all the platforms out there. And also, uh, if you are listening to this and it is, you know, we're just beginning 2019, then check out leveluploliveevent.com, leveluploliveevent.com, the business growth event of the year in San Diego, over 500 business owners flying in from all over. And you will leave with a blueprint for your business. All right. So we hope to see you there. And until next time, get out there and elevate yourself because you are worth it. Scaling a business is not for the faint of heart. Playing it safe causes 34 million American business owners to avoid risk entirely and suffer from smallness. I understand what you're feeling. No matter how hard you work, no matter what you sacrifice, you just can't seem to get to that elusive next level. That's because what got you here is not going to get you there. Scaling is not about working harder. It's not that one right strategy. It's the whole picture. It's you. It's your big, beautiful vision. It's your team. It's your drive. It's how you show up. It's time to take a leap off the trapeze so you can soar high in your business, but you're holding on too tightly and killing your growth. If you're truly ready to leap, it will not be easy. If you want easy, there's always your comfort zone. Are you prepared to fly? 
You're well beyond the startup phase in your company. You've created a decent level of success. Your tenacity, your spirit have gotten you here. But my gut tells me you were not put on this earth to play small and stay inside the box. There is something about the ability to direct your own fate, that drive for freedom, expression of creativity, building your legacy that pushes your entrepreneurial buttons and that wild spirit. If you are fully ready to bust out, step into your power, own it as the leader and visionary that you are. It's time to get your arms around the method that will finally get you there. You are not meant to be small. You are meant to shine. If you are truly all in, then let the adventure begin.